The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Back at record. Stocks looking to keep November in the black as the Fed kicks off its two-day policy meeting today. Now comes the follow-through. After strong words and some big promises from some of the world's biggest polluters, Will the world really make any meaningful impact on climate change? A live report from Glasgow ahead. It is one or the other, and Apple has to make some tough choices when it comes to its parts ahead of Christmas. Call it a crypto triple threat from Burger King to Aaron Rodgers, the Golden Arches. We have your top trending altcoin stories ahead. And Elon Musk throwing some cold water on Tesla's big deal with Hertz. Is there a big deal with Hertz? It is Tuesday, November 2nd, Election Day, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange. Oh, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. And by the way, happy Election Day. Voters going to the polls today to decide who will become the governor of New Jersey and Virginia Virginia, by the way, the race to watch in America right now. Could be a big day down there. All right, ahead of all that, why don't we get back to the markets? Kind of what we do, right? Leave the politics to others. Futures, eh, they're kind of like the markets yesterday. Flat to maybe not doing much. Dow futures down one-tenth of one percent. It was kind of a meh start to the month overall for the big indexes. However, there was a big pop in small caps on Monday with both the S&P small cap 600 and the Russell 2000 rising more than 2%. Good day for small caps. Futures not indicating much today. All right, now to bonds. Because the two-day Fed meeting kicks off today with a rate call on Wednesday. Remember, it's, it's all just not about rates or the taper either. The markets are also interested in whether Fed Chair Jay Powell is going to keep his job. Let's also check wheat. Yes, wheat. Because prices for the grain... We don't just mention them for no reason out of the blue after never talking about them before. They're at their highest level in more than eight years. That's right. Wheat prices up nearly a nine-year high. But don't worry. We are told that is transitory, but it could be another inflation stock shock at the grocery store. All right. Around the world, a mostly lower session in Asia, outside of South Korea, which ended the day higher. They had a squid game there. And Europe, their markets are mixed. You got Germany up. Most of the others are down. And by the way, a programming note, this show is going to be live from London all next week with some pretty cool guests and big stories around energy. I'll be hosting the show as normal, but also out in the field talking about some of Europe's energy woes right now and what lessons they may have for us here in America. We know you tune in every day, but an extra special tune in next week. All right, right now, let's stay stateside. And hit some of the top stories of the day. Savannah Hanau is here now with those. Savannah, good morning. What do you got for us on a Tuesday morning? <laughs> good morning, Brian. All right, here's what I have for you. 
West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin is putting President Biden's twin infrastructure plans in jeopardy one more time. Yesterday, demanding more time to evaluate the projected impact of the now $1.75 trillion Build Back Better agenda. Simply put, I will not support a bill that is this consequential without thoroughly understanding the impact that it'll have on our national debt, our economy, and most importantly, all of our American people. Manchin's comments are the latest blow to Democrats who had hoped to have the bill finalized this week. The White House maintains, however, it is confident Manchin will end up supporting the legislation. Rivian Automotive is targeting a market valuation of as much as $54.6 billion in its upcoming initial public offering. According to its amended prospectus filed yesterday, the Amazon-backed electric vehicle startup says it plans to offer 135 million shares priced between $57 and $62. At the high end of that range, Rivian would bring in roughly $9.6 billion in its market debut. And Tesla CEO Elon Musk throwing some cold water on last week's herd steel. In a tweet last night, Musk says Tesla has yet to sign the contract, contradicting the announcement and advertisement released by Hertz on October 25th. Recall Tesla surpassed a $1 trillion market cap hours after the Hertz news hit. CNBC has reached out to Hertz and Tesla to ask for comment. Brian? All right. Well, it's going to be a big story today. We'll see what happens with Tesla. Moved it on the way up. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it moves it on the way down or they can scramble and save exactly. something. So, Vanna, we'll see in a few minutes. Thank Sounds you. Good. All right. Well, it may not be Tesla, but let's stay on so-called clean energy plays because your first market guest today brought along a big name for us. and says all she wants for Christmas is more higher returns overall for stocks and maybe a little volatility to throw into the stocking. Joining us now is Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO of Pivotal Advisors. CNBC contributor and somebody I had the pleasure of hanging out with, meeting in person out in L.A. recently. So it's good to see you even remotely. Um, I know it sounds early to talk about Christmas, right? But I guess with supply chain issues, it doesn't. All you want for Christmas is a little volatility. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so hi, Brian. <laughs> it's good to see you early this morning. Uh, so yeah, you know, volatility is a chance to add to the current positions that you have at a better valuation, right? So a lot of times people look at look at these uh, dips and and volatility, and they think that it's a bad thing, but it's not. It's a good thing. Um, and so especially kind of coming off you know this October that we had with very very low volatility, right? So when you look at what the market did in October, um, really up 6.6% for the month, um, dra- drastically different than September, right, where we, where we really had um, a negative month. And so, you know, we look at the VIX kind of uh, dipping down to 17 and actually, uh, as of yesterday, it's a little bit lower. Um, so we didn't have a volatile October. So I would not be mad um, if we had a little bit of volatility, you know, going into um, um, uh, November and even throughout the year, because this will kind of give us some opportunities to buy. Okay, and we talked about that clean energy play, and there's a company down in Florida. In fact, it used to be called Florida Power and Light. It's Next Era, and they are massive. They have Next Era Energy Partners, NEP. This is a clean energy name. Yeah. you got the Climate Summit going on in Scotland that you love. How come? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, 
As you mentioned, the climate summit is going on in Scotland. Um, and then, of course, the, the Biden infrastructure plan. Um, he's all about clean energy, um, really all about sustainability all around. And so Nextera is a, is a name that I've owned for probably about like the past uh, two and a half years. Um, and they're, they're, they um, are all about um, like wind and solar, sustainable um, um, areas of um, energy. And so companies like that are really going to be well positioned uh, as we kind of like move forward. The entire world is talking about sustainability. They're talking about this, um, this, this race to, to net zero. In fact, that's what they're talking about um, in, in Scotland right now and really kind of like who's going to pay for it as well. Yeah, well, the, the who the pay for it, Tiffany, let's not get into that. Let's just have the good headlines now and we'll figure it out down the road. Oh, you know who might be able to pay for it? The bankers. Because M&A is red hot. If you are a lawyer, an investment banker, anywhere in that, call it supply chain, you're printing money. Is that one reason you like Evercore, one of these mid-sized investment banks we don't talk about a whole lot? Yeah, you are actually stealing my thunder, Brian. But yes, I do like Evercore. You know, Uh-oh. M&A activity really is up. <laughs> and, you know... I do like financials all around, but outside of the big banks that I own, uh, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, I really do like these kind of like smaller um, uh, investment advisory firms or investment banks that we really don't talk about. To your point, so Evercore is one of them. One of their one of their um, main uh, main services is is M and A advisory as well as investment banking. And so that I've actually owned it for probably about the past like two and a half years. Uh, again, just like a Nextera. Air- uh, next Terra Energy. And so these these companies are really, really doing well right now. They're kind of like really under the radar. No one's really talking about them. Everybody really talks about the bigger banks and they kind of like make this splash when they when they report earnings. But uh, Evercore is kind of under the radar. Well, not anymore. We just announced it to the world. This is worldwide exchange. We got Next Terra Energy. We've got uh, Evercore as well. Some new names being brought to the table from Sri Lanka to Shreveport. People are hearing you, Tiffany McGee of Pivotal Advisors. Thanks for getting up early. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks, Brian. I like that. From Sri Lanka to Shreveport. I'm about to use that again. All right, when we come back, is four, five, or even six dollar a gallon gasoline gonna hit next year? Hear what Bank of America has to say on the prospect and reaction from one industry insider all ahead of OPEC on Thursday. Plus, forget the fries. Why Burger King is asking you if you want a little crypto with that Whopper, but but not on the Whopper because it's not a, it's a digital thing. And later on, a one-on-one interview with billionaire investor, legendary entertainment founder, and Pittsburgh Steelers co-owner Thomas Tull. His take on where he is investing in China, manufacturing, and a lot of other topics. You will not want to miss that one. A very busy hour still ahead when Wex rolls on after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. The UPS... Nope. 
But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Should you get ready for four, five, or maybe even $6 per gallon gasoline? It could happen early next year. Bank of America out yesterday saying that Brent crude oil, the kind that is traded globally, could hit $120 a barrel by June. That would likely mean $110 or $115 barrel oil here in the States. And gasoline in certain areas and certain grades, certainly well above $5 a gallon, maybe six. It's because of booming global demand and a massive lack of investment in new production as the world tries to turn away from fossil fuels. All this coming as OPEC and Russia meet on Thursday, with President Biden urging them to add more than 400,000 more barrels to the market. Let's talk about it all now with Clay Siegel of Vortexa. They track offshore storage. Clay, it's great to have you back on again as well. One of the few guys, like I said, that's actually been in Vienna. I hope to see you there again in person at these at one of these meetings, maybe in December. Um, you guys track storage, so first we'll hit your wheelhouse as well. Uh, the president's talking about releasing the SPR, but around the world offshore, is there enough storage to bring down prices, or are we really in sort of OPEC's grip? Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to getting back together. Um, what's really interesting from our data as OPEC kind of goes into the meeting this week is that exports are lower than than I would have expected. And I say that because you would think that the stars have been kind of aligned for higher exports from these countries. Demand is better. Inventories are drawing down. Uh, the group's own policy has been to increase production every month, 400,000 barrels per day. And that's what we're expecting this time as well. And obviously, the price environment has been uh, very robust. I think that's been, been covered on your air. What's really interesting, though, in our data is that if you back out Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, the other 22 countries of OPEC Plus actually decreased their combined export levels by about a million barrels per day since April. Wow. So I asked myself, I mean, why aren't these guys selling more oil? They've got the fiscal imperative to, to maximize revenue. They've got supportive prices. They've even got politicians from you know Washington to Tokyo to New Delhi asking for more. So I think that one thing that we have to ask ourselves as a hypothesis is, do, they, do some of these countries really have the capacity to add much more from here? I think that the spare capacity you're, you're the level guest, around Clay. the world is something we have to watch. You're, you're the guest, but I'll maybe answer. I'll answer your question. We're flipping roles here. It's like pardon the interruption or something. Um, I've talked to a couple people recently who said no to your point that maybe only the Saudis and the UAE have the ability to sell more oil. Now the Saudis have the ability to sell a lot, but these other countries like Kuwait in particular, to answer your hypothesis, other people I've talked to said they simply don't. So to expect OPEC to suddenly start throwing a bunch of oil on the market may not just be unfeasible, but not not impossible, but much harder than we believe unless the Saudis go their own way. I think that's right. And the, the really the key metric that we have to look at here is spare production capacity around the world, but particularly in those OPEC countries. And um we think that it's probably kind of at the low end of the range that's sort of bandied about somewhere between three and five million barrels per day. And remember that those countries within that group that are struggling to produce at their target level, they don't really want the quotas to increase from here because they're not going to be able to participate and to contribute. 
So, right. I mean, as we watch demand rebound, um, exports pretty flat from those guys despite a bull tape. And we've still got medium to long term supply growth that's limited by ESG, by decarbonization policies that are being talked about this week, and by investor discipline from the street. I think it's reasonable to see upside price potential for crude oil. Is 120 bucks Brent? I mean, is that, I mean, that's, maybe that's just sort of one of these headline grabbing numbers. I've seen other people that are above 100, Clay. I talked to somebody yesterday who said, let's get ready for it. Oil's not going away anytime soon, but the era of cheap oil and the cheap hydrocarbon is. Because if you're going to slam an industry and say, we're going to wind you down over the next 20 years, they're going to make as much money on those next 20 as they possibly can. Your take on that. Yeah, it's not only about making as much money, but it's about um, for all of the companies uh, and organizations that go into energy production. It's about supplying the world with what it needs now and in the near term. And so we do need hydrocarbons in the near term in order to support economic activity around the world. I'll tell you, you know, as kind of um, 20 plus years as an oil market observer, there's nothing magical about three digits. I'm, I am old enough to remember 2008. $147 a barrel we touched. And I think the annual average that year in 08 was $98 a barrel. So it's definitely possible. Yeah. I'm not calling for it on your show today, but I'm saying it, we definitely could be on either side of 100 as we figure out how supply is going to meet continuing demand for energy. Of course, that set up all that drilling and you know, that boom <clears throat> in Midland and then sent the price back down. That's the difference, Clay. Probably won't get that this time around. It's capital discipline. Clay Siegel of Vortexa. Appreciate your time getting up early out there in Texas. You got the Strohs tonight. Good luck to them and all my friends down there, Clay. Take care. Go Strohs. Got it. I knew he's got the hat. He told me yes. There we go. Big game tonight. Good luck to all my friends out in Houston. All right. I love you too, Atlanta. Thanks. Still on deck. Your big money movers, including why America's malls may be telling investors reports of our death have been greatly exaggerated. That's next. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers of the morning. Three key stock stories on your Tuesday. Stock number one, Simon Property Group. And remember all those experts who said that in-person shopping is over for years to come, maybe forever? Well, neither do I. Because Simon's third quarter results beating forecast, shoppers were everywhere. Occupancy rates are just under 93%. The lesson again and again, never bet against the American shopper. Stock number two, DuPont. The Wall Street Journal says the company is planning on deals to remake its fundamental business following years of subpar performance in its stock. Sources say DuPont is close to a deal to buy Rogers Corp. That's a maker of electronic materials with a market cap of about $4 billion. It also plans to review alternatives for its automotive products division. Moves are expected to be unveiled today when DuPont reports their earnings. And stock three, BP. Third quarter profit topping forecast boosted by, you guessed it, higher oil and gas prices as well as strong trading. BP expects natural gas prices to remain robust, i.e. high, in the coming months. 
company is expanding its stock buyback program as well by another $1.25 billion. Look for more oil and gas companies to increase their buybacks as well. You heard it here first. All right. Let's get a check down some of this morning's other top stories outside of the world of money and business. And for that, we go to NBC's Philip Mena in New York. Philip, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Election day is here, and Virginia voters have already shattered records. Early voting hit record highs in the dead heat governor's race between Democrat Terry McAuliffe and Republican Glenn Youngkin. The race could prove to be a bellwether for the 2022 midterms. Today is Boston's mayoral election, and no matter who wins, history will be made. Voters will elect the first woman and person of color to lead the city. Both Michelle Wu and Anissa Asabi-George are Democrats, and both serve at, as at-large city council members. Recent polling has Wu in the lead by more than 30 points. Minneapolis voters will decide the fate of the city's police department today, in the city's first election since the murder of George Floyd. The ballot will ask whether residents want to replace current law enforcement with a new Department of Public Safety. And in New York City will vote for its new mayor today, while New Jersey is voting for its governor. Democrats are widely expected to win both races. Reverend Jesse Jackson is in the hospital this morning after falling at Howard University in Washington, D.C. The 80-year-old civil rights leader who has Parkinson's disease hit his head when he fell during his visit. Jackson was at the school to support students who are protesting living conditions on campus. A CT scan indicated no internal injuries. Still, he was kept overnight as a precaution. And it was Giants-Chiefs on Monday Night Football. KC got on the board first when Patrick Mahomes fired that laser to Tyreek Hill in the end zone. But the Giants weren't going away. Daniel Jones tossed two touchdowns to a pair of tight ends. That is Harrison Budker there with the go-ahead field goal late in the fourth. And then it was the Chiefs' defense stopping the big blue, trying to come back right in his tracks. The Chiefs win it 20-17. to And Brian, I forgot my Houston Astros hat, but... I still say Ghost Rose tonight. Yeah, you got a big game. I think it uh, first pitch like 8 o'clock Eastern time as well. And if they win, it goes to a big game seven back in Hotlanta as well. Could be a good game. I, I doubt you and I will be up to see it, but we'll try, Philip. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suck it up. I want to see it. <laughs> got to do it, man. That's why the nap is key. All right. Now let's get this morning's top trending stories. And this morning, it is all about DeFi. And crypto. Sounds like a kid's cartoon, but it's not. These are real stories. Savannah now is back. Savannah, what we got going on? That's right, Brian. So we're going to kick it off with Burger King because it's partnering with Robinhood to offer the fast food chain's Royal Perks members the chance to win some crypto as a side to their meal. The promotion runs for the next three weeks, and customers have a chance to earn Bitcoin, Ether, or Dogecoin if they spend at least $5. They must have a Robinhood account to claim the prizes. Aaron Rodgers getting in on the crypto train. The Green Bay Packers quarterback is teaming up with Square's Cash App, saying he will take part of his salary in Bitcoin and will help give away $1 million in the crypto coin as part of the deal. The giveaway will last through November 8th, and winners who will be selected randomly will receive up to $100 each in Bitcoin. And number three. Not so much crypto, but definitely in the DeFi sector. In honor of its 40th anniversary, McDonald's is giving away 10 exclusive NFTs named after its iconic limited edition McRib sandwich. For a chance to win, people have to retweet McDonald's invitation tweet from their own public Twitter account through November 7th. Then McDonald's will choose 10 people at random to receive the exclusive NFT, which, unlike the real McRib, they can enjoy year-round. Brian? I don't understand anything anymore, Savannah, I admit it. 
I literally, you're, t- you're doing the story beautifully, and I was like, McRibs and tweets and yeah. NFTs, and all I, then I just started thinking about eating a McRib. And then <laughs> That's I thought, all what I could I think about. All I could think about was actually tie, eating one. And then what would I do if I was, if I was on the air with barbecue sauce in my tie, <laughs> and then I was running through fields of flowers. So, <laughs> oh, Hanau, wow, thank fields you. of flowers. You got it, Brian. I'm going to send everybody back at EC some McRibs. With fries. Thank you. (laughs) All right, ahead, a one-on-one interview with billionaire investor, legendary pictures founder and Steelers part owner Thomas Tull will get his take on where he's investing his money now. China, why America faces a potentially lost generation of young men. Forget about November rain. How about some November direction? Markets may need a little patience ahead of the Fed. The climate summit rolling on is anything but a paradise city. Big deals hard to come by. And today it's all about methane and trees. Speaking of that meeting, we have a trivia question for you. And it's so easy. In what year did global coal production peak? That's your question. What year did global coal production peak? Lead us your answers. And the surprising answer, what it could tell us about energy investments coming up in your morning RBI on this Tuesday, November 2nd. This is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back. I am Brian Sullivan. And really, if all those song references didn't get you revved up this morning and maybe in the mood for a little GNR as you hit the treadmill, I'm not sure that I can help you. But either way, here we go. So right now, let's see if the markets are <clears throat> knocking on heaven's door. And they are not futures. They are flat, maybe down just a touch here. Of course, this kind of action expected ahead of the Fed decision tomorrow. There's really no reason for any major investor to take a big risk here. We think we know what the Fed is going to do, but we don't actually know. So markets kind of sitting on their hands. It was a nice start to the month for the little guys, though. And I mean, the smaller cap stocks, both the S&P small cap 600 and the Russell 2000 rising more than 2%. Also on Monday, a number of renewable energy stocks running hot, likely on the back of the big UN climate summit, which we'll hear from Diane in two seconds, and expected hundreds of billions being spent globally on this. Two names stood out yesterday, Fuel Cell Energy, FCEL, up 15 or whatever percent, and Broadwind, BWEN, both spiking in the market on Monday. All right, and remember also with Chris Murphy, we talked about the bullish options flows into healthcare and biotech yesterday. Well, I guess timely, because some biotech stocks and the IBB Biotech ETF, it moved higher by more than 1% on a Monday. So a number of things sort of inside the market doing well. All right, we just talked about it. Now let's get to Scotland and the massive UN Climate Summit happening in Glasgow. And despite China and Russia, two of the world's biggest polluters, not showing up in person, world leaders still scrambling to make some big headway into fighting climate change. And President Biden preparing for a major announcement when it comes to methane emissions. Diana Olick is there and joins us now with a roundup of some of the big headlines. Diana. 
Well, Brian, day one of COP was filled with your standard opening speeches. Day two appears to be about real action. President Biden will announce a major plan on global forests, the first of its kind. It's a decade-long effort to conserve forests and other terrestrial and coastal ecosystems that serve as critical carbon sinks. Sinks, of course, absorb carbon as opposed to emitting carbon. It includes dedicating up to $9 billion by 2030, but that's subject to congressional approval. One of the goals is to end natural forest law by 2030. Now, Biden will also launch what the administration is calling the First Movers Coalition. This is to build private sector demand to speed clean energy technology and innovation. It's launching a COP with more than 25 founding members, including Apple, something of a buyer's club that will commit to clean energy and innovation. It includes some of the largest companies in the world across a wide range of industries with hundreds of billions of dollars in purchasing power. And in addition, tomorrow, the U.S. EPA will be proposing a major new rule on methane emissions, specifically regulating methane leaks at oil and gas facilities. The U.S. is also working in partnership with the EU to lead a global methane emissions uh, reduction by 30 percent below 2020 levels. President Biden and other world leaders will leave COP tonight, and some say, well, that's when the real work begins. Negotiators hash out the details of all the goals and visions set, specifically timing, amounts, and financing. And President Biden is scheduled to give remarks on the Forest Initiative in about 10 minutes. So we'll have that for you coming up in Squawk Box. Brian? Yeah, and there was a lot of talk about trees as well. All right, speaking of talk, Diana, there was a lot of talk in general, right? A lot of big talk, a lot of promises, big pledges. Uh, what's been the reaction so far? Is it like we're going to get this stuff done or kind of just a lot more hot air, unfortunately? Well, Brian, you got to love the British newspapers, right? So we started out yesterday with the papers saying to British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, let's not let cop be a cop-out. Today, you get activist Greta Thunberg, no more blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? So there has been a lot of blah, blah, blah. But as we said, we're hoping to see some real action today, especially on the methane emissions. And... Uh, of course, you can see there's a lot of security here with world leaders and helicopters flying around. But we do expect to see real commitment. And we'll see what the markets react to that, especially on the methane, Brian. Yeah, a lot, a lot of fuel-burning aircraft. We can hear them above you. Any world leader did you see riding like a, an electric bike or a skateboard, Diana? No, none of that. In fact, we've seen a lot of long motorcades, unfortunately, and a lot of jets at the airport. So, you know... I guess you got to do what you got to do to get here, but it is not helping the environment, especially. We've got boats running up and down with police back and forth all day long and multiple helicopters circulating the venue. Well, it is an island, so we understand you got to take a boat or a helicopter or a plane to get there. Probably the plane is the best option because people don't have like, you know, a month. But, you know, making the point. Diana Olick all day, all week at COP26. Diana, thank you very much. All right. He is not a name you might know, but you should. Thomas Tull grew up poor with a single mom in upstate New York. He went to college, started a chain of laundromats before getting into finance and investing and entertainment, eventually founding legendary pictures after producing hits like Christian Nolan's Batman trilogy, The Hangover, Man of Steel, Jurassic World and 300. He sold it to Wanda Group of China for three and a half billion dollars in 2016. By the way, Legendary is also the production house behind the current hit blockbuster, Dune. Thomas Tull now runs Tulco, an investment holding company that invests in names like medical apparel startup Figs and most recently insurance brokerage Assessure. 
And if that weren't enough, he is also a minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and his band opened up for the Rolling Stones. We caught up with Thomas yesterday and I asked him how he's locating the companies that he is looking to invest in now. Here's what he said. Well, at Tolco, our thesis, we're a holding company, and the thesis was to find uh, industries and then companies and management teams within those industries that didn't normally have either access or the wherewithal uh, to employ cutting-edge technologies that would enhance their business. So the idea was to not only bring the capital and hopefully some business acumen, but also we had Tulco Labs with a bunch of AI and data scientists and practitioners that we would be able uh, to to bring to these companies. And you know, so far it's it's worked well. And um, you know, I think every corner of our economy over the next seven to ten years is going to be uh, touched in many ways uh, by technology. Well, you've got Figs, which is going after hospital gowns, trying to spruce them up a little bit. You've got we mentioned, you know, Acrisure Insurance. Roadrunner Waste Management is part of your search. You know, we're trying to understand your thinking to find industries that are not only kind of ignored because they're not maybe not sexy or they're older line, but also that maybe have one or two well ingrained massive players who who move slowly and they don't think about change. Well, look, we we try to we try to be thoughtful about the size of the industry, the opportunity itself. You have to find great management teams that will embrace the pivot to technology. Certainly in the case of FIGS, uh, they were a young company at the time started by these two brilliant women. Um, and our job there was just to sort of be of any assistance that we could. They did an amazing job building out the company. And then on the insurance sector, we looked at a lot of insure tech companies uh, that you know, are pretty narrow cast in what they do. And our thought was, especially on the brokerage side, if we could bring true artificial intelligence and data science uh, that, that you could really outperform and enhance your returns. We found a great partner in Greg Williams and Akashur, uh, and I'm very pleased with the results thus far. Yeah, and you're also involved in trying to bring back manufacturing to the United States. And I want to pivot to that, Thomas, because I know you're from outside of Binghamton, New York, and I spend some time in upstate New York. And, and I say this with absolute respect and affection for all the good people I've met up there. When you drive through it, uh, Route 17, in either direction, there's a lot of empty factories. There's a lot of lost promises, a lot of lost jobs, not just there, but across America where you're from. You're invested in something called Rebuild, trying to use big data again to help bring back manufacturing and manufacturing jobs to America. Talk to us about that. And is there anything out there that will work aside from the cost? I mean, that's the we, I say it's the high cost of cheap because we want to make stuff in, around the world. But guess what? To buy it inexpensively, that means you're going to lay off an American. How are we going to fix manufacturing? Well, look, uh, a couple of years ago, Jeff Wilkie, uh, who's an outstanding executive, former president of uh, Amazon, and I started talking about this. Uh, he, he went to MIT, had a great group of uh, classmates that he stayed in touch with who became experts in high-tech manufacturing. And one of the things that we spoke about is that, uh, and this was before COVID, and certainly COVID has put a very big spotlight on our vulnerabilities along the lines of supply chain uh, and, and leaving our uh, our prosperity and our ability to compete in the hands of foreign actors, and many of which are, are not uh, are hostile to us. 
So the idea of taking high-tech manufacturing, bringing it back here to the United States, putting a lot of money behind it, which is the idea behind Rebuild, uh, especially with mid-sized companies to give them access to capital, to give them access uh, to the kind of uh, cutting edge technologies and, and enhancements that allow them to compete. And I would ask that when you look at the offshoring of jobs over the last 30 years in manufacturing, I would argue that it's much more expensive now in the vulnerable place that we find ourselves. So the idea is learn to manufacture. That's what built this country yeah. up. I'm a huge believer uh, in America and our resiliency, but I think right now is a very, very important time in our history. Talk to us quickly. You mentioned it a bit about China. Does, you know, China, and obviously I know that you'd sold part of your company to them years ago, but it's a different China now under President Xi Jinping. Some of the things that have gone on there in the last 18 months have been eye-opening for the world as well. We're in a position now in America and Europe where we rely completely on China for almost all of our manufacturing, and Europe now relies on Russia for so much of its just basic power needs. How did we get into this position where we're, we're well, trapped, look, we're stuck? Um, for those of us and, and anybody that's been paying attention to China over the past five years under his leadership, things have certainly shifted. Uh, they've become much more aggressive. It is very clear what their intentions are in, in terms of uh, their position in the world and how they, they want to extend their power and mm -hmm. domination. And I think there's a lot of things in this country right now that are fractured. Uh, I'd like to see the United States become united again and recognize that they present a very clear and present danger uh, from, from the way I look at it, economically, militarily, uh, culturally. Um, and I think their ideals and what they're projecting um, is does not really fit with, uh, with with the idea of democracy and free speech, things of that nature. So I, I really think it's time for our uh, economy, uh, the leaders in our government and so forth to look at this very clearly and to act with urgency or we're going to find ourselves in a very bad position. Our big thanks to Thomas Tull. And if you like what you heard there, good news. There is more to that interview, and you can see the rest of it exclusively on CNBC.com right now. Check it out. We talked more about China, about manufacturing, and why America may face a lost generation of young men if we don't do something now about it. More, a few more minutes of that interview coming up on CNBC.com. All right. Coming up here this morning's big money movers, including why shares of one education tech company are plunging more than 30%, but as we had to break a few other big headlines happening right now, Apple cutting production of the iPad. It's an effort to save semiconductors for new iPhone 13. That's according to a report in Japan's Nikkei. Uh, sources say iPad production is about half of Apple's original plans. ByteDance is CFO stepping down to focus on his role as CFO of TikTok. as part of a broader reorganization as well. And your final story the meme or joke coin Shiba Inu is broken to the top 10 most valuable crypto assets, hitting 40 billion bucks, by the way. Here's a stat as we go out to break. If you'd invested $1,000 into Shiba Inu, a joke coin, in early March, you'd have more than 2 million today. 1,000, 2 million. <laughs> joke crypto, real money. Guess the joke's on us. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. We've got some big breaking news on oil right now. BP, which is on their earnings call, 
saying that global oil demand is now above 100 million barrels per day. That is a big number, and it is much faster than expected. Uh, So BP on their earnings call saying global oil demand back above 100 million barrels per day. And consider the fact that global international air travel is still well down. That indicates just how many people are driving. That is a very bullish sign for the price of oil. And again, OPEC meets on Thursday. All right, well, there's so much corporate news today. We're going to bring you a second round of big money movers, and we're going to boogie through this. Stock number one is Chegg, shares of education technology company plunging its latest quarterly report. Disappointing investors' revenue and subscriber numbers falling short of estimates. Stock number two, Clorox. Stocks trading higher. The consumer products company posted better than expected earnings and revenues. Clorox also says it's pulling multiple levers when it comes to cost controls. Commodity logistics inflation challenges remain. Stock three is Avis Budget. Looks to be another winner this morning. The rental car company. The rental car company. Beating the street on the top and bottom lines. Announcing it is increasing its stock buyback program. All right. Speaking of rental cars, earlier this morning, we told you Tesla CEO Elon Musk tweeted last night saying... His company has yet to sign a contract with Hertz, contradicting the announcement and advertisement released by Hertz last week. Whoops. That news putting pressure on many of the EV makers, which have been on a great run and had an especially solid day yesterday. All right, on deck. Your morning RBI, and we re-asked the question, in what year did global coal production peak coal? Any guesses? The answer. And Jeff Kilbert ahead. Today's RBI starts with the energy quiz we asked you earlier in the show, and it's a timely one given the big climate summit happening in Scotland. If you missed it earlier, here it is again. In what year did global coal production peak? You might be thinking, I don't know, 1977, maybe the early 80s. Well, time for the answer. An apology because it's kind of a trick question. Global coal production continues to go up every year, minus the slight pandemic drop-off. So the answer is really... 19, 2019 or this year until next year and the year after that. In fact, global coal demand is set to soar to a record high next year. That's right, a record. And you could thank China, which in 2020 brought on 38.4 gigawatts of coal-fired power. What does that even mean? Well, according to Yale, it's more than three times what was brought online everywhere else. And 257 gigs of coal power is currently in process or planning. Put into perspective, That is six times Germany's entire coal-fired capability. Let's call this the revenge of the old economy. And if you're wondering, we'll give you a bonus fact. Coal production here in the United States peaked exactly 20 years ago this month. I was researching the data. All of a sudden, I thought, literally this month, 20 years ago. That is random but interesting. You go, China, or not. Let's get back now to the markets and kick off the Fed's two-day policy meeting and bring in our friend Jeff Kilberg, Sanctuary Wealth Chief Investment Officer and CNBC contributor. And Jeff, you're not about the coal. You're about the electric cars. You're desperate to buy the Rivian IPO. You think the General Motors could get pulled up with it as well. All signs still point to electric. Absolutely, Sully. This is the EV melt-up. We talk about EV and how important it is. 
We talk about the next generation of investing. We talk about the electric undercurrent. But nonetheless, Rivian, we are seeing the roadshow right now. We were initially seeing back in August when they confidentially filed for that IPO, they were talking about an $80 billion valuation. Now it's beginning to be priced more around a $56 billion valuation. If you look, if it's even related, remotely related to its second or third cousin in Tesla, I think this is a great buying opportunity as we continue to see the surge of assets into electronic cars. Yeah, with uh, Deloitte and others saying they expect basically a 30% annualized growth rate every year for decades in electric cars there. And EV's down a little bit right now in this Tesla Hertz news. But overall, you are a long-term investor. Jeff, at the top of the show, we highlighted what a great start to the month it was for small caps. I mean, the 600, the Russell 2000, the IWM, they're doing great. Are you, are you a buyer? Are you a believer in the small caps? Well, I am a believer, and we talk all year long. What's worked, Sony? We talk about this rotation. We saw a rotation initially at the beginning of the year into some of the reflationary stocks. We saw a reflation into some of the large cap lend. But right now, it certainly seems like yesterday, that outperformance in the IWM, that was the Russell 2000 ETF, when you saw it up over 2.5% when the broader market was basically flat on the day, that was really encouraging to see people trying to find alpha, seeking to find alpha these last two months of the year. When you look at some of these smaller cap names, certainly you are going to find, look at a name like Crocs, you are going to see some love coming in and names like that as people are really trying to squeeze out this alpha because the S&P 500, it has a, had a tremendous year despite all the negative or the skepticism in the marketplace. Yeah, we've also got the Fed meeting today with the decision tomorrow. Uh, I don't, again, I don't want to take away from our coverage. It's going to be big. Uh, but do we care about the Fed? We absolutely care about the Fed. In the same way that you cared about the Nerding Finers taking it to your Hokies, what we like about, I thought I'd fire you up a little bit this morning, what I thought going into this oh. Fed meeting, how important it would be, would be the cadence. But it's not so much the cadence of the taper. This has been the most telegraph pitch, kind of like the World Series coming at you tonight. It's going to be one of the most telegraph situations where we know the taper is coming. The taper has to come. But it's not about the reduction of the monthly $120 billion of purchases, Sully. It's more about this inflation outlook. If you remember just a couple months ago, Fed Chairman Powell talked about inflation being transitory. Now he's talking about persisting. So this is going to be how they thread the needle if they do see this taper go well. But remember, the taper is going to take them all the way to Q2 of 2022. And are they going to be raising rates in the face of inflation? So that's why I really want to digest it. And that's what investors will be gravitating toward. It's the velocity. It's the cadence of how they really do that one-two punch of the taper, then potentially moving rates. If we do see this inflation persist, which I believe it is. I'm in Chicago, so inflation is tangible. Didn't you hear us talk about, by the way, I got your knock on the, I was at the game, the Notre Dame Hokies game. You've never seen 70,000 people go silent that quickly in your life, Jeff. <laughs> we talked about wheat, wheat at nine-year highs, our wall of inflation. We did it in October and back in April. Everything is up like 30%. Is it transitory? Hey, I don't think it is transitory. We look at an oat chart. That's getting a little bit into the weeds from all my commodity traders out there. But nonetheless, we are seeing this transitory probably be a little bit more tangible as we move into 2022. And it's remarkable. I mean, think about the Fed, Sully. They measure inflation. They strip out food and energy. Good Goodness gracious. You know I love food and you know I like to drive my cars. But nonetheless, until the Fed really recognizes that. And that's what I'm looking for today from Fed Chairman Powell, excuse me, tomorrow when he actually takes the podium. Will he admit to more of this persistence in 2022? And how far will this, how far will they allow inflation to go? Because that's 
the real component. But at the end of the yeah. day, I'm remain constructive on the marketplace side because they are not going to reduce their balance sheet. They may reduce the taper, reduce their purchases, but they're not going to reduce their eight and a half trillion dollar swollen balance sheet. And we didn't even mention the 30-20 inverted yield curve because I just felt like at 5.55 a.m. was just two or 4.55 for you. Just too darn early to talk about inverted yield curves. But it does matter. Jeff Kilberg, Sanctuary Wealth CIO. Jeff, a pleasure to have you on, minus the Notre Dame reference. Have a great day, my friend. Take care. Folks, I am off tomorrow. I will see you back here on Thursday morning. Squawk Box, the gang, picking up coverage on a Tuesday, Election Day. Go vote. Next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.